Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you guys. It's good to see you here. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I'm excited to be able to continue as we're walking through our series, The Final Countdown. Um, this, has been, this has been fun. I hope you've been enjoying it so far. Um, today, we're going to keep wrestling with the question, is this the end, or are we nearing the end? That might be new to you. You may be wondering, well, what is this all about? Like, if, you, if this is your first time here in the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up a little bit. Last week, I talked with you about how on October 7th of last year, a group of people went into Israel and carried out uh, a strike that resulted in over 1,000 people dying, over 250 people taken captive and, and, and carried away outside of Israel. And that began a, a, what has been a horrific war that you've seen in the news and online and all sorts of things. And whenever we hear about war in the Middle East, it raises some questions. If you're a person who've read uh, you know, throughout the New Testament... This will make sense to you. If you're not, that's fine. But the New Testament talks about how there will be wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of things happening that lead up to kind of the end of the world. And so naturally, when we see things like this happening in the Middle East, many of us go, hmm, what is happening? Is this the end? And here's the thing. Last week, uh, we tried to make one thing really, really clear. Is it the end? We don't know. But we need to be ready. That's, that's the bottom line. This week we're going to continue along in looking at what Jesus has to say about kind of the, the end of time and everything that is to come. But before we go there, instead of going forward in time, I want to go backwards in time for a minute to the year 1999. Some of you weren't even born yet, I realize. You know, that's, that's the, the age that my boys like to refer to as, you know, the 90s. That was so long ago. That's what they like to say. In 1999, there was a movie that came out. Um, I wonder if any of you remember it. Here's, here's a picture. Here's what it's called, The Sixth Sense. Does anybody remember this movie? Anybody? Some of you don't. If you don't know this movie, the movie's been out for 25 years. I'm going to totally wreck it for you. I'm not sorry. You could have watched it long ago, okay? <laughs> here's, here's the thing. The Sixth Sense was a movie uh, kind of about these two characters. This is Cole, and then uh, this, is, this is a child psychologist played by Bruce Willis, okay? And the story is about Cole and how Cole somehow, something happens to him, and he starts seeing things, okay? Any of you remember the famous line, I see are you, are you scared to say that in church or something, you know? I don't know. The, the famous line, it's, I see dead people, okay? Now, I'm not talking about this to give you some theology of ghosts or anything. I'm just, I, I, I'm getting to a point here, okay? Cole starts seeing ghosts. And these ghosts have unresolved issues, things that happened in their lives that, that they want to see resolved, and so they start going to Cole, 
and asking him for help. Now, I remember in 1999, I wasn't very old because I'm not very old today, but I remember in 99, thanks a lot, you guys are mean, uh, in, in 99, I, I remember watching this movie and sitting on the edge of my seat being like, ah! Because all, you know, often there would be like ghosts pop out of nowhere. And I don't don't remember all of it. I think once there was one under a bed and I was like, oh my word, I'm never going to sleep again. You know, I was so scared. Well, Cole is having a hard time in this, throughout the course of this movie because he can't talk to anybody about what he's seeing. Imagine somebody comes to you and starts saying what, what he had to say until finally he meets this particular doctor, Dr. Crow, and he starts to talk to him about what he's seeing and what's going on. And Dr. Crow helps him work through helping these ghosts resolve their issues. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, a made-up movie. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, some, some ideas about, about afterlife and whatever, But what's interesting to me is the end of the movie. Now, if you want to watch it and you don't want to know the end, now is where you just go, la, 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 do your thing, that's fine. But here's the deal. The whole time, Cole is having these interactions and Dr. Crow is there and they're talking and whatnot, and it's not until the very end that you find out that they are both what? Dead. They're ghosts. Cole is a ghost. And he figures it out. He doesn't know. Dr. Crow is is a ghost. And they figure it out. And I'll tell you what. I remember getting to the end of that movie going, oh my word. Like that changed everything. Knowing the end. Seeing what was actually going on. Being able to see the end of it changed absolutely everything. The reality is, when you know the end, it changes the way you see everything in front of you. And that is true when it comes to the end of the world. Knowing the end changes everything. This this is not a a call to worry or to freak out. As we talk about kind of the end of the world today, my goal is not to scare you or make you freak out or worry you. Actually, my goal is instead to equip you so that you can be ready. So that you can be ready when the end comes. And here's the thing. Jesus talks a lot about the end. In Matthew chapter 24, which is where we're going to be today, so if you have a Bible, you can open up there. If you want to open it up on your phone, you'll be able to follow along. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus specifically talks about some things that are going to happen towards the end of the world. I want, to, I want to have you pick up with me in verse 1. This is, this is Matthew's telling of a similar story that we looked at last week, but Matthew gives us more of what Jesus said later than, than, than Luke does. He says this, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, okay, so apparently Jesus is in Jerusalem, okay? This is coming up on the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion, his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, okay? And as he's leaving the temple grounds, more than likely, he's going out of the eastern gates, which, by the way, the eastern gates are today sealed up. Like, you can't go in or out of the eastern gates. Here's why. 
Because the scripture tells us that when Jesus returns, he will enter in through the eastern gates and people think they can stop him from getting back in by sealing it up. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's interesting. So the eastern gate is sealed. <laughs> it won't be. Jesus more than likely goes out that gate, crosses down the Kidron Valley. It's not a long walk, take you about 30 minutes to get across, and then you're at the base of a stretch of mountains that make up what we know as the Mount of Olives. And as he's leaving the temple grounds, his disciples kind of turn and point out to him the various temple buildings, which, by the way, in that day would have been absolutely incredible. If you've, if you've never been to Jerusalem, even today, What's there is incredible, even though there is not a Jewish temple there today. It's incredible. And then Jesus says something very interesting to them. Here they are pointing out, look, look at that. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And then Jesus says this in verse 2. He responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. This is an incredible statement. This is Herod's temple, okay? This is a temple that had just been revamped and finished during Jesus' lifetime. It, it became a 50-acre complex that was built up. I mean, even today, as much of it has been pieced back together, okay, uh, it, it is impressive. Stones that are so massive, you can't even imagine. And today, engineers are not sure how they ever moved some of these stones. Stones that are, that are like 170 feet long, 16 feet deep, and, and 20 feet high, somehow Herod and his collection of probably slaves figured out how to get these stones placed on top of one another. We know Herod did them because Herod was so interested in his own uh, namesake that he, he put, a, put a border around every stone that was his stone. Today you can go underneath a portion of the western wall and see it for yourself, see just how massive these stones are, and Jesus says, not one's going to be left on top of another. Now, that would raise a few questions. In verse 3, the conversation goes on, and Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives. He crossed the valley, and now they're sitting, and his disciples came to him privately, and they said, um, we have two questions. <laughs> Number one, when is this all going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? Okay. Number two, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, here's the thing. The rest of the chapter is dedicated to answering one of those two questions, and it's not the one about the temple. The rest of the chapter is dedicated to answering the question, what signs will signal your return and the end of the world? of the world. But it raises a question that I want to interact with you about today. What is the final countdown before Jesus' return? What, what is there to happen? What needs to kind of be ticked off on the, you know, on the list of things to get done before Jesus comes back? And, and this is an important question because we need to be ready 
We don't need to worry, but we have work to do, okay? We need to be ready. Now, before I go into the rest of the chapter, let me give you a general summary of what the the, the Bible talks about regarding history, things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that are yet to happen, okay? I want to give you a timeline, and the problem with the timeline is that it looks nice and neat, and it looks as if it's all going to happen exactly, just perfectly like this. Here's the thing. I'm going to give you a timeline, but am I 100% sure this is going to happen? No, but I'm going to give you my best guess. Let me show you. A couple of things. As you can see on the screen here, we know that in in regards to human history, about 2,000 years before Christ, God started a relationship with Abraham, which culminated in the beginning of the nation of Israel. So for about 2,000 years, Israel existed. Sometimes they would flourish and sometimes they wouldn't, okay? And then after about 2,000 years, Jesus showed up on the scene. God had promised that eventually his His Messiah, his son would come and Jesus showed up. Now we believe that Jesus is that Messiah. We believe that Jesus is the one and only way to the Father, okay? Does that sound exclusive? Yes. It's also inclusive because it's available for everyone, Jesus shows up on the scene, and his death, burial, and resurrection occurred, and shortly after that, the Holy Spirit showed up on all people who had trusted Jesus, and that began the church. The church has been going now for roughly 2,000 years. There are things that are yet to happen, though. One of the things that the Bible describes is a rapture. You will never find the word rapture in your Bible, just so you know. But if you're taking notes, you can look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, which says this, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. They together with, then together with them, we who are alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's describing that, that all believers past will be raised And every believer here on earth will be caught up, taken up to meet the Lord in the air. Something is going to occur. When? I don't know. But it seems that that is the next event to occur. Then there is a tribulation or a time of trouble, a pouring out of of lots of great difficulty because of, of the sinfulness of man, which then culminates with Jesus coming back and stepping foot on the Mount of Olives and entering into that Temple Mount through the Eastern Gate, by the way. He will set up his kingdom and he will reign here on earth for a thousand years, and at the end of which Satan the great enemy, and all of those who have rejected Jesus will face eternal judgment. And that begins what we know of as eternity and heaven. Now, do I know when all of that's going to occur? No. Do I know how all of that's going to occur? Am I sure that this is even the... the no, that good Christians disagree on, on all of these things. However, we can be clear on a few things that Jesus lays out. The first thing that he said is, the temple is going to be destroyed. So let me just show you a little bit of what the temple would have looked like in Jesus' day. Let me show you kind of a 3D rendering. We can bring up that next picture. This is an incredible, incredible structure. And for Jesus to say, it's going to be wiped out, that's a big claim. Actually, it's a claim that we can test. 
You see, about 40 years after Jesus' death, roughly, Rome, who had control over the nation of Israel, Rome decided they'd had enough of the Israeli revolts. People who had been trying to kick the Romans out, they'd, they'd had enough. And so the emperor of Aspasian sent his son named Titus to go to Israel and put down the people who were revolting. And you know what he did? He said, that's it, I've had enough. Titus went there, he'd had enough, and he raised and set on fire the entirety of the city of Jerusalem. And do you know what he did? He destroyed every single piece of the Temple Mount. Knocked it over, every piece of it. Picked up and carried away all of the tools and instruments, the altar, the bronze labor. You know, took, took everything that was of any value for religious instruments, carried it away to Rome. In fact, today, if you go to Rome, you can see something that's called the Arch of Titus. My wife and I have been there and seen this, and, and inside the Arch of Titus, one of the things that you'll see is, is this very clear picture where you have slaves carrying away all of the, the, the tools used within the Temple Mount, taking it to Rome. Here you see golden trumpets and a golden menorah. You see this is commemorating what Titus did, which by the way, was in fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. They destroyed the temple. And there hasn't been a temple there since. Which tells me we should probably pay attention to what Jesus has to say regarding the rest of the events yet to come. See, in verse 4, Jesus continues on. And remember I told you he didn't answer their first question. He didn't answer when will the, the temple be destroyed, but he did answer the question, what are the signs uh, of your return? And here's where he does it, starting in verse 4. He says, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. There will be people who are, who are claiming to be Jesus. Don't pay attention. Okay? goes on in verse 6. He says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Again, this kind of stuff, like, this stuff should throw us into a panic. Unless. This kind of stuff should worry us. Unless. Jesus is who he says he is and has the power that he claims to have. So he says, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So even now, wars and famines and earthquakes, and that is, that's not the stuff that proves that Jesus is coming back. In fact, in, in verse 7, he says this. He says, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. It makes me think of, anybody ever heard of Braxton Hicks contractions, you know? I'm not like personally familiar with this, other than you know, other other than I I know my wife has experienced this and we've talked about it and I learned something. Whatever it is, it's terrible. Okay, terrible. This makes me think of this. Like, there are things that are coming along. They're kind of the first little things that make you go, uh oh, uh oh. But what exactly is in the final countdown before Jesus' return. Well, the next couple of verses 
lay it all out. These are the things that we need to pay attention to. In verse 9, Jesus said this, says this, then, okay, so after these first kind of birth pangs, right, then you will be arrested, you will be persecuted, and you will be killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Now, let's take a quick time out. Did this happen to the disciples of Jesus? Were they arrested? Yeah. Were they persecuted? Yeah. Were they killed? Yeah. Paul himself? Yeah. Peter? Yeah. Crucified upside down? Yeah. At the hands of Nero? Yeah. Hated all over the world? Yeah. Is this happening still today? Yeah. Now, I, I can't personally say that I've experienced it to this extent, but I do know that there are lots of people who do not love us and hate us. By us, I mean people who are Christ followers. This type of persecution is happening all over the world. It's happening all over Asia. It's happening all over Africa. It's happening all over South America. These things are happening, which tells me we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, that we would pray for perseverance for them, pray for deliverance for them, pray that God would keep them and use them and that he would prepare us should the day ever come. So what's, what's in the countdown? Well, first and foremost, Jesus' followers will be hated all over the world. So if we're, if we're going to do this backwards, there's, there's six things that show up in this countdown. Number six is this. Is this happening? Yes. It's been fulfilled. So now we're on to number five. Well, verse 10 says this. It says, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. What, what, what's going on here? There will be people who say they are, you know, followers of Jesus, but then they will turn away. They will deconvert. They will choose to go a different direction. And they will betray and hate each other. They will hate other people who, who claim to be Christians. They will hate people in the world, and they'll betray them. Is this them turning people over to authorities or to turning people over for persecution? I don't know, maybe, but something is going to take place. Here's what it is. There will be lots of deconversions. So number five, lots of deconversions. Do we see this today? You better believe it. Now, I, I want to be really careful and gentle with this because there are legitimate questions about Christianity, and you may have legitimate questions, and you may be wondering, well, hey, is this, can this be real? That's, that's fine. I, I, I love when people have questions. That's great. But the questions shouldn't lead us away from Jesus. They should lead us back to the Word to search for answers. I urge you, if you have questions, ask your questions, but ask them of the Lord and ask them of his word and ask people who have walked the path, who, who have wisdom that can walk with you. Be careful lest we're led astray. So number six, there will be followers who are hated all over the world. Number five, there will be lots of deconversions. Number four shows up in verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Is there anybody or anything or any system that is trying to deceive people? <laughs> yeah, you better believe so. 
I mean, we could start here in America. We could start with our whole modern phenomenon of self-help and self-healing and all sorts of things that tell us that we are the solution to our problems. I, I have news for you. You are not the solution to your problems. You are the source of your problems. I'm sorry. And other people and their actions against you and your actions against them are the source of your problems. Jesus is the solution. Yeah, there's a whole system designed to deceive us. Not only that, there are, there are religions. I mean, I'm not even going to name them, but they are all over the world that teach you that you can do things and earn God's favor. And I would tell you, anything that tells you that you have to do X, Y, Z, whatever, to earn God's favor is anti-biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity has never once said that you have to obey this, that, and the other in order to have a relationship with the Father. It says we get it through Jesus. Does he change us then? Yes, absolutely. But let's be clear. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved, not of works, lest anybody should boast. There are systems all over the place designed to deceive many people. What's Jesus saying? He's saying number four in the countdown is this. There will be many false prophets who will deceive many people. What about number three? Verse 12 says this. Sin will be rampant. Yeah, that, 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 well, we got a ways to go, right? Okay, that was funny. I guess not. Uh, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. <laughs> Man, we live in New York. People really love each other, everybody here, right? Uh-huh. Well, some of us live in New York. Some of you are in, in, in Pennsylvania and you're Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? You know? The reality is that we live in a culture where we celebrate things that God does not, and we turn our back on one another often. Sin is rampant, and love has grown cold. You don't believe me? <laughs> Go into the high schools every now and then. Take a look just at what happens and what's celebrated. Go to the universities. Go and see what's, what's happening and what is celebrated. Take a look at your own homes and your own heart and see what we tend to let pass. Jesus says the things that will precede his coming involve wickedness increasing and love growing cold. Has that been fulfilled? I think so. What about number two? Verse 13. There's a, just a little pause here that's meant to encourage us. Because if you've been following Jesus so far, you're probably sitting here going, uh... This is not good. If your breathing is getting faster, it gets a little nervous. You're nerve-wracking. Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be, be saved. Those who persevere, those who trust him, who keep going. Okay? Good news is, we already know the end. Okay? You already know the end. Then, verse 14, he says this, and here's what else has to happen. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. That's great. 
The good news that there is forgiveness, that there is restoration, that there is redemption being bought back to be right with God. It's to be taken all the way around the world so that all nations will hear it. And then, then the end will come. What's he saying? He's saying that the gospel will be preached throughout the entire world. Is that happening right now? The answer is yes, it is. There are still people groups and tribes and, and that, that we don't have their language down to where they have a full Bible, but, but we are taking the scriptures and taking the gospel around the world. This is why it is so imperative that we pay attention to, to people groups that don't yet have the Bible in their language. This is why we do translation work. This is why we we do what we call here missions. This is why we take the good news to other cultures to plant churches so that people can know Jesus and and help reach other people there. Just a a, a brief, like, kind of commercial. This is why I would urge you, when we take missions trips with Bridgewater, go. Go. Because we want as many people to know about Jesus as is humanly possible. People here and people around the world. Now, Jesus doesn't end there. Because in verse 15, he says this. He says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Okay. That... that that's a little confusing. If you've never heard of Daniel before, Daniel was a, was a, a man, uh, he was a Jewish young man who was taken into captivity and, and moved uh, into a, a great position of authority uh, later in life. He, he, there's an entire book of the Bible that's written about him, but, but it's filled with more than just stories, it's also filled with prophecy. Yeah, we have, we have Daniel in the lion's den. Ever heard of that one? Like, that, that's really awesome. And it's like, whoa, how did that happen? Then you have, you have like, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go, as I learned about when I was a kid. Somebody just told me a, another one. I don't remember what it was. But, but we have this story of these three ended up in the fiery furnace, and God sent someone in there to protect them. Wow. But there's also prophecy, stuff that will happen before the end of the world. And one of the things that Daniel talks about is this thing that today we call it, we call it this. It doesn't matter if you know these words, okay, but we, we call it the abomination of desolation. Like there was something abominable, like that means it's so terrible that it's almost not even to be spoken about. And then desolation, like it's, it's desecrating, it's desecrating this, this holy place, the temple, and Jesus says, if we back up, Jesus says, the day is coming when you will see that happen in the temple. Now, here's the thing. The Jews believed that had already happened. The Jewish people believed that in 167 BC, a man named Antiochus Epiphanes came in, a, a, a Greek man who, who, who was a ruler um, over the, the Greek uh, 
I guess, Ptolemaic era, okay? He came in and he had had enough with this Maccabean revolt that was happening in, in uh, Israel at the time. These people didn't want um, this, this Greek uh, ruler in place, and so they tried to overthrow him. And, and, and so Antiochus Epiphanes goes in, destroys Jerusalem, goes into the temple. He takes a pig into the temple. If you know anything about the Jewish religion, you know that that's... That's not good. He goes up to the altar. He sets up a statue of Zeus. And he offers the pig to Zeus. Not good. They believe that this was an abominable action. It desecrated the temple. But Jesus seems to be saying, whether or not that was what Daniel was talking about, there's another one coming. There's another one coming. Here's what he's saying. There's another abomination that causes desolation or desecration yet to come. Has this occurred? I don't think so. I don't think so. Which tells me the temple's going to be built again. That's kind of weird. You can imagine, I mean, today on the Temple Mount, do you know what's there? On the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount is controlled by the Muslim Brotherhood, and on there is not only the Dome of the Rock, but it's also another mosque called the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the faraway mosque. And it will be a great war for the Jewish people to take that back over and build a temple. There, there are things yet to happen. Much has happened but there are still things yet to happen. And then Jesus says this a little bit later in chapter 24. He says this. He says in verse 21, he says, For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. I think this is referring to the tribulation, that there will be a time when it's just going to be so terrible. Can you think of like terrible things that have happened in this world? Jesus is saying Jesus is saying what's yet to come will be worse than anything that's ever happened. That's, that's scary. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But here is the good news. It will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. God is merciful. God is gracious. He will shorten it. And there will be an end to it. And then in verse 30, he says this. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be a deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. Why? Why mourning? See, when Jesus shows back up, there will still be people who, who have not accepted Christ as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives. And Matthew is recording that Jesus says that when he does show up, the time is done. And there will be mourning because people will realize, people will understand, people will know, they will get it. And they will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Here's the thing. You look at the countdown, six, five, four, three, two, one. I, I'm telling you, Jesus can return for his church at any time. 
which begs the question, how should we live? How should we live? Let me just share with you two, two thoughts. Number, number one, none of this should scare us because we already know the end. I, I don't want you to be scared. I want you to, you, this, this should not call us to worry. This should call us to, to, to trust him and get to work. This should call us to think about our friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, people that are dear, near and dear to us who need to know Jesus. Not to worry, not to be scared, but to get to work. Second, all of this should motivate us because we know the end. See, here's the thing. If you go on into the the end of chapter 24 and then into chapter 25, you will find that Jesus gives illustration after illustration. Go and read it later for yourself today. He talks over and over about how he's coming. He's going to go away and then he's going to come back. And there's these illustrations of us being faithful There's stories of him giving talents to people, going away and coming back, and did they use it wisely or not? I just want us to be ready and to use it wisely. Here's why. Jesus will return for everyone someday, but he returns for somebody every day. You get that? We just don't know when. I don't know when your time is. I don't know when my time is. I don't know when your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers' time is, but, but I want them to be ready. I want your kids to be ready. I want you to be ready. And so I'm urging you, in light of the fact that Jesus could return at any time, to store up treasure in heaven. You know what I love? Think about that idea of storing up treasure in heaven. There, there are a couple of ways that you can, can do that. Um, around here, we talk about praying, investing, and inviting. That's certainly a way that you can do it. Another way that you can do that is, is serving. And I was thinking about that this week because I think it's so awesome. We have, we have a good number of people who come in on Mondays and, and serve in an incredible way. They serve by investing in children. We have a Voyager program that meets here to teach kids the truths of God's word. And a, and a number of you serve and you actually give up your Monday night to do that. And guess what? This past Monday, Isaac Ford trusted Jesus because you were investing in heaven. I love that. Many of you serve here and serve in kids' ministry and all kinds of things. That, that's what I'm talking about. Some of you, I love, we, we had a Bible study going on in, in, in the room back there earlier, talking about God's word and pointing people towards Jesus. That is storing up treasure in heaven. Love it. You know what else I love? I love that now, as a pastor, I have to carry a very special instrument. I have to carry this with me. Anybody ever seen one of these before? Do you know what this is? You really don't know what it is? It's very special, I know. It's a pen. I know you don't see these very often, but... On Sundays, I've come to the place where I have to carry a pen with me, and here's why. Because we cultivated a spirit in this community where every single week, I have somebody who comes up to me and says, would you pray for my family member, my coworker, my friend? I'm trying to invite them to church. 
or I'm trying to share the gospel. And I have a bad memory. And so I have to write their names down because I want to pray. I would love for you to keep doing this, to come up and say, would you pray for so-and-so? And I will. And I think we'll see God work. Now let me leave you with this. A man named John wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, Turkey, and he, he, he said this in 1 John um, chapter 2 and verse 28. He said, now, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. He's coming back. I just want you to be full of courage and not afraid when he comes back. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and for all that you have done through him and all that is yet to come. And even though there are things that we are sure of and things that we are not sure of, God, I am thankful that I can trust you and that we can trust you. Even though there are things that are quite disturbing, we know the end. You've given us the hope of heaven and you've told us all we have to do is trust you to place our faith in Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. And as we trust you, we know that you will come back for us and that we will be with you forever. God, it's my prayer that each one of us would have done that. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.